how many of you, you're that person who, um, uh, you know, maybe you're like cleaning the kitchen or, you know, picking up dishes or toys or something like that. And like your spouse or your kids are watching a show and you just get sucked in. Like how many of you are the person, like you just like you to the point where you don't even know like what you were doing. You just got like sucked into a show or something. And, and uh, you're like, I'm holding a plate. Why am I holding a plate? Oh yeah, I'm cleaning up dishes. And like, you look at your spouse, she's like, you got sucked in. And you're like, yeah, I got sucked in. Uh, that's me. I love, uh, I just love drama. Like I love a good story. And sometimes I don't even know what the, the show's about. I'll have to ask later, but I will find myself, like I don't even know how much time has gone by. Um, I find myself getting sucked into shows all the time and then I have to watch them or like catch up. So uh, that's my hope. My hope today is that we would get sucked in this morning uh, because here's what we're doing. We are gonna be picking up as a church the gospel of Matthew uh, where we left off. So we're gonna be picking it up in Matthew, taking it all from the spring to the end of the summer. We're gonna finish the entire gospel of Matthew. But today, because we are in uh, the weeks leading up to Easter, we're gonna drop in towards the end of this book uh, and we're going to do a short mini-series called uh, In My Place, just two weeks and Monday Thursday. But we're in Matthew, and I want us to get sucked in. Like my prayer for you and us, and I was telling our staff this week, is that um, we, would, we would enter into these last hours of, of Jesus and that we would smell these smells and that we would feel the angst uh, of the great cost of the love of God for us at the cross. And so um, that, the, that we would enter in our Savior's hardest and greatest hours, that we would sit in some of the darkest moments in human history and worship together in the great gospel of what took place when Jesus took our place. And so I just wanna let you know, as a pastor and as your pastor, um, I'm okay with us feeling in these next few weeks, just the ugliness of these hours. Um, I'm okay with us feeling the wretchedness of sin and the desperation and brokenness and the agonies of all the events and it's good for us who are culturally, we breathe the air that any discomfort is not okay. We can't, oh, I don't like that. I don't like feeling discomfort. Um, but that when it comes to our savior and it comes to the cost of his love for us, that we would just breathe the air that Jesus breathed that, that night. And so uh, that's my hope. I, I, I really want us to slow down during these next few weeks before Easter. And I wanna bring your soul to the cross, but I can't because I'm just a man. So um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to bring your soul to the cross this morning. Like I want you to pray, Jesus, you made and satisfy my soul and I want you to take me this morning because I got a lot of crap I'm upset about right now, but I want you to take me and the soul you made to love to the cross so I can get my eyes off that and onto you. But that's a miracle. So I, I, want, you, I want you to pray that. 
So I want you to pray, Holy Spirit, help me feel the weight of the extent of your love. Okay, and then I'll pray and then we'll, we'll get sucked in. So you start, you pray on your own. Oh, Father, there is no event in the history of the world that matters most to our lives and will matter most in our lives for eternity than when Jesus, you came, took on flesh, lived. And in all the gospels that we have recorded, the manuscripts that we have that you've inspired, spend most of their letters in this last week because of the significance of this last week and the significance of the cross. And I just pray, like I, we've been praying, we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would just make this so real to us. Like we don't wanna play church. We really need your power. Like we need one another this morning. And so I ask Holy Spirit that you would manifest the gifts in our body that we would even while hearing this, you would put it on someone's heart to want to encourage or build up or pray for others in this room that we would just, we would meet with you. And so I pray for your help. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd help me use the gifts you've given me, help me not to trust in me, but to trust in you. And I, I do pray if there's someone here who's not a Christian and already this is like, whoa, you guys are coming on heavy. I just pray that they would really get to know you and your love for them and the reality of, of why the death of Jesus is so important. So just speak to them in a unique way that only you can. And I just pray for your help. I pray you'd help us get sucked into this moment and that we would forget about what we were doing all week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. By the way, you got this on your way in. These are bulletins, okay? So we're going old school. Uh, we just, as a team, decided we don't wanna waste too much time in the gathering of like singing and hearing from the word, just telling you a lot of, about announcements. So we're gonna hand you these uh, each week. And it also gives you a chance to know kind of where we are. Uh, but grab one of those. And then if this is your home, we're missionaries. Like we're the ones that God's gonna use to reach the North Shore and love his people. So we just wanna keep giving you invite cards. Uh, pray that God would lead you to invite someone, whether you work with them, family member, someone at the, you know, that you meet at the park, uh, just ask for courage and invite someone to our Easter Sunday. It's gonna be a great time. A lot of people who, who you love and pray for may not come on a normal Sunday, but they might come on Easter. So just let them say no, you know? All right. Um, if you have your Bibles, Matthew. So we're, here's where we're gonna start. Uh, Matthew 26, picking up in verse 69. So we're in midnight of, of this night where Jesus is betrayed. Um, we're gonna look today at the contrast between two disciples, both Peter and Judas. Uh, only one makes it to the cross. And so to help us follow where we're going this morning, we're gonna read our whole passage so we can get a sense. And then I want us to look at each disciple. We're gonna look at Peter uh, and the agony of his sin and betrayal and then Judas. And then we'll just close by looking at where Jesus is in this dark night in these verses that we're gonna look at this morning. 
So that's where we're going. Let me read it. And it'll be on the screen as well, so you can follow along. Okay, so we're just dropped in. We're getting sucked in. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you mean. And he went out to the entrance. Another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest taking the pieces of silver said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's blood money. So they took the council and brought with them the pot, bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day, then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel. And they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. All right, beginning with Peter. Now, if you're, if you're new to this scene, maybe you're new to the Bible, which everyone was at one point, which is really glad you're here. Uh, or maybe it's been a while since you've been a part or in one of these sections in the gospel. Uh, all the gospels highlight this event, by the way. Um, it would be helpful though to widen out and look at verse 30. So if you're scrolling down or you're jumping over, look at verse 30 um, so that you can see what's taking place just hours before, okay? So look at verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, Okay, so Jesus has just shared the Last Supper. He's washed their feet. He's been, out in the, he's been out in the garden and they're singing a hymn. So there's life this night. Imagine there's, there's, a, there's a God-centeredness to this night. Um, there, there's a joy around Jesus this night. He just unpacked the command to love, which we'll look at at Maundy Thursday. And now they're singing. Singing to him, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then, then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Okay, now follow me. This is absolute control. I mean, from where Jesus says, this is absolute unimaginable sovereignty. Jesus says the Bible will come true in what it says. And hear how this is all gonna play out. 
This is how it's gonna go down the rest of the night. You're all gonna fall. Now that's, that sounds kind of nice. You know, not, it doesn't sound nice at all, but it, it sounds kind of light, meaning like, you know, you're all gonna fall, it's gonna be tough. But this word fall in the Greek, it, it is a strong uh, word. It means you'll be disgusted, you'll be repelled. You'll be appalled that you were with me tonight. And notice how do the disciples respond? Okay, I'll tell you how they don't. They don't go, they don't go wait, did you say you're gonna be raised? Like, tell me about that. Like, what does that mean? Or, or they don't even ask, like, how will we fall away? Like, like, Jesus, if this is happening and you're God, I mean, you've been being God the last three years. Like, you know, they don't. No, mm -mm. Look, there's no depth. They don't ask. Look at verse 33. Peter answered him. This is a classic Peter, if you know him at all. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Right, you love that. They, yes, you know what? Finally, they, they do suck. And classic Andrew, he's falling, but not me. Andrew's like, what? Throw me under the bus. Now watch what Jesus does. Watch what he does. He pulls further into the absolute sovereignty of God to the very sounds that will take place to fulfill that the Bible will come true. He says this in verse 34, truly I tell you this very night, again, he's very focused. This will happen tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Like not, not just, oh, I, won't, I won't, I would never, three times. Verse 35, Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. That's very emphatic. He's, he's passionate there. Like, I'm so sold out for you, Jesus. It's, this is very, he's very self-confident and they all agree. And it says, and all the disciples said the same. Yeah, we're, just, Andrew's like, me too. That's not in the Bible. You know, it was just humor. But with that in mind and, and, and Jesus giving Peter the play-by-play the play play on how the denial will go, we enter into our scene. Now, I want you to imagine just the air of this night. I want us to smell it. Imagine, a, imagine these smaller villages spread out. The stars were over in the Middle East were just phenomenal, lit up. Um, however, the air was a little strange. You had a mob, not, not by a government mob. You had a mob uh, brought about by the Jewish leaders who brought Jesus, Judas betrays him with a kiss. They bring him out into the chief priests. Now this is crazy because if you're a Jew at that point, all the mega like Jewish priest leaders are there in that night. And so you'd be like, something is happening to this Jesus. Your, your, your heart would be kind of pounding, very curious. There would be a very intense animosity in the air. Rome is not fully aware of what's happening quite yet. This is, an, this is a trial that's not okay. There, there's a dangerous feeling about this. You couldn't have been in a more strenuous, energetic, in a, in a uh, negative sense, a fearful sense of an environment. And in John's gospel, we read that the mob comes, arrests Jesus, and they all flee. And two disciples follow. We, we, many scholars believe it's John. 
Um, but let me read you a verse in John 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple since that disciple was known to the high priest. He entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So this John goes into the high priest. So he's there to hear the trial. We actually hear of what is spoken in the gospel of John in this trial, but Matthew zooms in on Peter. So Peter's in this courtroom now. The air is heavy. Jesus is on trial. And this is our verse. Okay, so verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you mean. Okay, well, okay, servant girl, scholars say she's probably 10 to 15. Worked in the high priest, for the high priest. This is, a, this is just a complete deflection. He's, he doesn't even say anything quite yet. It's a softer denial. He's basically like, preteens, you know? <laughs> I don't even know what she's talking about, anyone? Servant girl. Um, I love this. The next verse says, and when he went out to the entrance, he's probably like, <laughs> I better go check the entrance, make sure that people can enter it fine, you know? Um, so he goes out to the entrance and then another servant girl comes up and, and says to the bystanders, no, no, like this guy's with him. And again, it says he denied it with an oath. He has to depersonalize Jesus in every way. He says, I don't know the man. Okay, so it's intensifying there's an oath. Now, this is a big deal. If you're a Jew, you were bound by your oaths. Jesus, even on the Sermon on the Mount, said this. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. He says, let your yes be yes. He says, those who follow me now will just need to have an integrous life. Don't even take an oath. Just be an integrity, be an integrous person. But Peter's like, mm, nope. Commentators say Peter's failure and sin and guilt are increasing qualitatively as well as quantitatively. So imagine you're just, he's just getting flustered. He's getting frustrated. He's probably thinking like, I've never been more scared of preteens. This is going really bad. Please, please go back in the house. But it's going dark for him and he's pushing out any connection any association with Jesus. And then we read after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them. You, you have a Galilean accent and Jesus was from Galilee and you've got to be with them. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself. This is him saying, God, kill me if I'm lying. And to swear, I don't know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Like, I don't know about you, but I feel the emotion of this night. I mean, just imagine Peter's world, emotionally and spiritually. You begin with this joyous meal. 
where, where he washes your feet and you say to him, don't just wash that, like wash all of me. I want to have, I want my whole life to be with you, Jesus. It's even like hearing Jesus pray in his high priestly prayer that the father, they would be one and him just going, this is amazing. Like you're just on the mountain high, you're on like a mountain high with God. Like I was just singing with Jesus. Like, just imagine how he's feeling in this moment to declaring like, I will love you to the end, to being now in a place where you've evoked a curse on yourself, that you have any connection with him, that you want anything to do with him. And just the sound of that rooster, the instrument that God pricks his heart. It'd be so painful To compare the angst, this would be like a husband or a wife who just shared such a glorious meal. Then they just dance under the stars. They whispered sweet, loving things to each other. And then as they went home, one says, you stay here. I'm going to go get some dessert for us. And while on the way, at the store, meets someone, and within hours finishes making love to them to only receive a text that says, don't forget the strawberries. Like just death in your soul. Sin is death in your soul. It's relational, and despite the intimacy and even the warning and the prediction, this is heart ravishing. Like, have you ever felt like so close to Jesus? So strong in love for him, but just moments later, a temptation just wins over you. Like I remember just a vivid, painful, gut-wrenching moment. I remember it was my mid-20s and I was just starting out as a pastor and I remember... Uh, visiting someone in the hospital. And it was just like, I was, you know, praying with them and, and just, just ministering with them. And then on the drive home, I was uh, listening to a sermon on the cross. And it was one of these like incredible sermons about how Jesus, what he went through and the death he went through because of my sin and how Jesus loved me so much that he, he gave his life for me. And and I could be saved from the power of evil and sin in my life. And then I remember minutes later walking in the door, succumbing to a temptation and watching something I shouldn't. And I felt so lost. Like you lose your identity when you sin because you don't know, am I the guy at the hospital or am I this guy? Like Peter's like, what Peter am I? Am I the Peter who makes promises that I'm never gonna leave you? And like, well, you wash all of me. Or am I this Peter? Like he, he's lost his identity, his sense of like, who am I? Whose promises am I standing on? What Peter am I? But have you ever been there? Have you ever been like where you're just like, you know, I'm, I'm so for the Lord. And then you go hang out with your friends and they're like, hey, you're not one of those uh, like, you know, born again, like 
intolerant Christians, right? No, no. I believe everyone should just be happy and they can believe what they want and we're all, you know, let's not talk about it, but like, no. I go to church because it's, everyone goes, you know, just brush it off. Have you ever like knew there was a time in your life where like, maybe if I took this job or I did this thing or I took these courses, I know my time with Jesus would be pushed out, but this is more important. Or like Judas, maybe you had a time where like, you know, money was so important to you, reputation was so important to you. This is just an awful place for Peter. He wept bitterly. He just leaves, right? That's what you want to do. You just want to leave. Just, ah. Some of you might be there this morning. And he's brought you here to hear what Jesus wants to say to Peter. But before we go there, the only answer for Peter at this point in this passage in verse 75, and he went out bitterly, is hinted in the first verse of chapter Chapter 27, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. The only answer is the blood of Christ, is the promise kept by another, but we'll get there. And by the way, one quick reason, if you're here and you've ever thought like, how do you know if the Bible is true? It's not just made up. Peter's one of the founding fathers of Christianity. Like Christianity wouldn't have got off the ground if it wasn't for the spirit and God behind it all, but like but through Peter and, and the apostle Paul. And if you were gonna get your religion off the ground, you wouldn't write stuff like this. This wouldn't make it in the manuscripts unless it really happened. Like, unless, unless it happened, you wouldn't record such a failure of one of your leaders. No, nobody, would, nobody would have that. It was such a crucial juncture in the early, in the early first century. But look at where this reality goes next. So if that's Peter in the agony of his sin, look with me at Matthew 27, verse four, and Judas. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, that's his rooster moment. He changed his mind. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself, that's not our problem. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went out and hanged himself. So follow me, here's a disciple who was with Jesus for three years, who heard and experienced everything Peter did. And the moment he kind of sees that like Jesus is not really taking him anywhere. Like Jesus keeps talking about having to go and die. Peter's probably like, how do I, how do I at least get something back for these last three years. I get compensated a little bit. And, uh, and here's the thing about Judas, he was the money keeper of the disciples. And so anytime like someone blessed Jesus and his disciples so that they could have monetary ways of like feeding themselves, Judas was the money keeper. And he was the guy, if you remember, if you know the gospels at all, I encourage you if you don't and you're new to it, just to go back and read. But 
where, where um, you know, Mary comes to anoint Jesus' feet with this perfume and it had cost so much money. And Judas is like, we could have used that money for the poor. Like he had other reasons to hold on to the money. Um, when that opportunity to make a profit opened up, he was in, he betrays Jesus. But notice what happens in here in our passage in verse three. When he sees that the condemnation was death, he goes white. Like he, he didn't think this betrayal would lead to that sentence. And all of a sudden, all the moments of watching Jesus with children, watching Jesus pick up the, the face of the woman caught in adultery, all those moments probably are coming to his mind. He's like, no, 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 no. What have I done? What have I done? This is not what I wanted. I don't want this money. Similar to the man or woman who wakes up next, next to a different person. He's like, what have I done? I, I, just, like, I just wanted him to get yelled at a little bit or like, I don't know what was gonna happen, but I can't. I just wanna go on and live my life with a little bit of something, but not this. It, this is the tactic of the deceitfulness of sin and Satan, by the way. Namely, it's not gonna go bad. You know, it's fine. It's, you know, it's just, like, it's just one hit. It's just, you know, it's just a, everyone's watching this series. It's totally fine. It's not gonna go bad. You're not gonna sin. You're not gonna, you'll be fine. And uh, look, I, I don't think we think of sin enough. And I don't think we think of eternity enough. I was thinking about this. Um, I got the really good joy because I'm, I'm friends with Brad and Christina to bring them a few meals while they, while Rilla was just hanging out and sleeping. Um, but on the way to drop them off meals, they live right now in Burnaby next to a cemetery. And I remember one drive thinking like, we're gonna be dead a lot longer than we're alive, okay? Now, when I share those thoughts with my wife, she's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> but, but it's true. Like we're gonna be dead a lot longer than we're alive. And so what's on the other side of death? Listen, look right at me. It's massively important. Judas is so in the moment that he's seeking relief, but where? In the temple, he's seeking relief from the priests. He wants to return this blood money. He changes his mind. Says he felt remorse. This is a Greek word that's not the same as, as the Greek word for repentance. It's more of like, a, I was sorry, I don't like this feeling. I didn't want this to happen. And he sees no way out. And what's the result? He hangs himself. Now, while these suicidal thoughts are more common than we care to admit, 
We should not give in to what Judas does in this moment, namely to the debilitating lie that death is better than life. And I want to say to you today, if this is you, I want you to come literally after this sermon for prayer. We're going to have this morning uh, a bigger prayer team, more than just two. We'll probably have at least six to eight people who are who have asked to come and just pray because I think God is going to release some things that I think are in this room that have been haunting you. And I, I just wanna say a few things. This is not a sermon on depression, but I can say in any dark place where we feel hopeless, where Judas and Peter felt there is lies that are not just you in your own mind. Even if there is real mental illness, and we should do a sermon on that, but even if there is real mental illness, there's next to that illness, real evil spirits. And I say this because this is so serious and I felt like there's some demonic spirits lying to you. I remember it's such a dark time in my life where I heard a voice say, jump off that bridge. And I walked towards the bridge. We have people on staff this month who would share with you that they've had suicidal thoughts this month. And they'd love to talk to you if that's you, you're not alone. This is a hard place for you to be. Because you get you see this condemning thought, like I thought you were a Christian, you're supposed to have the mind of Christ. And, um, and in that moment, you're like, well, I don't have any mind of Christ. Or in that season, you're just like, I want the world to stop. You want the blur or the confusion and numbness to go away. If you could just cast yourself on the rope like Judas, you think you'd be able to enjoy bliss and it's not true. If that's you and the darkness is not fleeing and you feel alone and forsaken and you know you've murdered yourself a hundred times in your own mind, come for prayer. I really believe God wants to share a word with you encouragement to you, a verse for you. Let him minister his grace through one another. And all you have to say to them is, hey, it's just dark for me right now. Just say that sentence and let them pray. Both Peter and Judas had demonic influences. Jesus tells Peter, Satan demanded to sift you to have you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that when, after you fall, you will, you will stand and rise and build my church. Satan has been aggravating Judas this whole time and fills him at the Last Supper and he leaves. All I'm saying is that you're not the only one in your own mind. If those are your thoughts, it's not just you. That's for someone in this room and Jesus loves you and we wanna, hear, we wanna be here for you. So here's the question though, who doesn't make it to the cross? Judas, now, now follow me here, short church. In three years of seeing Jesus forgive sin, in three years of seeing Jesus work in the heart of like, like the tax collector 
and the sinner and telling parables of like who gets more mercy, the sinner on their knees going wretched that I am or the self-righteous person who's like, I'm better than all of them. Thank you, God, I'm not like them. Jesus kept saying, it was him. It was, it was the sinner who needs me. Like Judas was there when Jesus lifted the woman who was caught in adultery, like caught, meaning she's having sex. Someone finds out right there. If she can grab clothes, great. They drag her out, throw her before religious people, and they're ready to stone her as the law says, because that's horrible. That hurts his husband's heart, whatever that marriage was. This is a rough place for her. And Jesus bends down to her, writes something in the sand, and he says, well, first he says, if you've never sinned, throw the first stone. And some of you will feel like that. Religious people are like, you shouldn't do that. And Jesus said, if you've never sinned, go ahead, stone her. And they all go away. And he says to her, like, who's, who's here to condemn you? And she's like, no one. And he says, neither do I. Judas saw that. but he doesn't take his grief to the Lord. He just takes it on himself. And my heart breaks and I know like, you know, I've, there's so much self-help out there, like how to get rid of guilt. And, and oftentimes it's your own, you gotta forgive yourself. Like that's not gonna work. And don't be Judas today. Because listen, you can go to church like Judas. You can live with Jesus for three years and not see his mercy for you. Judas doesn't take his sin to Jesus. He takes it upon himself. Remorse is not repentance. Repentance is turning from sin to Jesus for salvation and grace and mercy in God for you. Remorse is you trying to cover up, make it feel right, make it go away. You feel bad. So here's the question, when our consciences rise up and condemn us, where will we turn? And if you're not a Christian, just consider this respectfully, consider that morality can't really have meaning if it's not personal. And if that's true, then when your conscience is pricked of morality, that might be a personal touch. So where do we go to when our consciences rise up and condemn us? Let me give you a few places. Ephesians 1, in him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, that's sins, according to the riches of his grace. The answer in this story is what's coming up in the next few hours. And that's when Jesus goes to the cross. Because when Jesus goes to the cross, he is being condemned by God. God is condemning sin, but it's not his sin, it's our sin. It's Peter's. Where will we turn? We turn to Christ. We turn to Christ. We turn to the suffering and death of the cross, the blood of Christ. In the Old Testament, God gave them a way for them to see with their conscience, what do I do with this sin against God? 
And he said there was, there was two goats, one would be sacrificed so that they could see that their sin had a penalty, a just. God made a way for them to at least have atonement for their sin. The wages of sin is death. That animal died to pay what they should have. And then there was a scapegoat, a goat that would leave and say, this is how God thinks of it now. He doesn't remember your sin. And then in Hebrews 9, speaking of Jesus as the Lamb of God, we read this, how much more Well, the blood of Christ, who's God, who's eternal, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse. Here's how you you can become Peter and build the church. Cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. When, When Judas throws the money in the temple, that's dead works. That's not gonna bring you into salvation with God. When Jesus offered himself, our sin was put on him and he died in our place for our sin. On the cross, let me put it this way, Jesus was being treated as the promise breaker that Peter was. So that through his death, Peter could know through the promise that Jesus kept who he truly was in him. This is the only cleansing in the universe that can give the conscience relief in life and peace and death. Claire, who we were praying for, who I've mentioned a few times, she went to be with the Lord a week and a half ago. And she had this. Hebrews 10, 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Like let us draw near with a true heart. Our, our failures may feel catastrophic to us, but God sees a way to redemption. This is the truth. So turn with me to John 21. John 21, be really quick. Verse seven, so Jesus, this is after his death and resurrection. He pursues Peter. And it says, I love verse 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, they were going fishing. But look at verse 4. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And he tells them to cast their nets out, and they catch 153 fish, which is such cool detail. But then in verse 7, the disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciple came in the boat, dragging the net of fish for they were all not far from the land, uh, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out of the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. Who made that fire? Jesus did. Jesus recreates the scene for Peter. And then after they eat, you can read about it later, three times in John 21, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than this? He's like, yes, Lord, I do. He's like, then feed my sheep. And then he says it again. 
do you love me? He's like, yes, Lord, you know I do. Feed my lambs. And then how many times does he restore them? Three. This is what Jesus does. He comes to restore him by giving him an identity that is not in Peter's works, but is in Jesus's promise keeping. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, he restores us wholly. He forgives us fully and he gives us his life eternally. Jesus was being taken in verse, chapter 27, verse one, to death for Peter. Jesus is taking the place of Peter and you and I are Peter. And it's when we begin to understand that we're saved, not based on our goodness or our ability to keep promises, but rather on Jesus, then we have hope. Well, you're not saved on your ability to keep your promise, but on the fact that Jesus did. And Peter gets back up and Jesus restores him. And I just, I love the fact that, that Jesus uses Peter to show us that God works by grace. No matter how painful your sin is, no matter how dark this season is, this is telling us, God's telling us, if you repent, you're not unusable. If you go to Jesus, he can restore you. And I just wanna plead with you. Like if, if you're here and you're in the middle, and, and two or three of you know this, you're in the middle of making a decision. Like right now, if you're thinking about doing something disobedient, you're in the process of it. And you made a promise to God. Like, I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna be faithful to my spouse. I'm gonna stay pure till I'm married. And right now, if you're afraid you're about to fall away, you're planning to pull out of that, please look at what it cost him to keep his promise for you. Look at what it cost him to keep his promise for you. When he did, he was, he was blasted, hung. And my question is, what is it gonna cost you to keep your promise for him? Nothing like it. And when he restores us, he sends us out with a purpose. See, forgiveness that day for Peter wasn't just so you can feel good about you and go continue your life of fishing. When Jesus restores us and forgives us, he gives us a new purpose. And some of you have just felt purposeless for a long time. And I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you and show you even more and more what your purpose is. But your purpose is to follow Jesus, to make disciples. And I say that because don't just want future forgiveness, want future victory. Let me close with this. Four days out of seven for me, I wake up with an attack of loneliness and emptiness. And I just feel this constant burden that like, God, I don't know if you're gonna fulfill me. And I don't understand, even when I know I'm gonna go to my Bible, that you might not. And I feel this frustration at times. And I, 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 I don't know, like, maybe is that the enemy or is it maybe God showing me there's a hunger and that's okay because on this side of heaven, it's gonna happen. But I share that with you because listen, like I need prayer. 
Like we need one, one another. He loves us through one another. I want you to ask him to use you this morning to build others up. Come for prayer. Let others take you to Jesus. We, well, I'll have Jordan, you and the team come up and those who I've asked to come for prayer, will you all stand now? We'll stand and we'll respond. You can stand. I know you're just like, oh, my knees. Um, ask the Holy Spirit if he, if he wants you to pray for the person next to you. But like, here, here's what I want you to sense right now this morning. Like we all need to repent. And maybe God has a, an encouragement, a verse, a healing or something he wants to do through prayer. Maybe ask someone for prayer. Like, let's not, let, I just, I just I'm, I'm done of like these powerless, let's just learn about this Sundays. We need each other in this room. And if God's shown you or convicted you of something, don't leave. When you come and you take communion, you talk to Jesus. You praise him and you thank him that he loved you still, that, that when he went to the cross and he rose from death and he came into your life, that was your beach moment. And you're forgiven in him. He's given you an identity because he's kept the promise and celebrate him and worship him. We're, we're gonna sing a new song called Jerusalem and where we're gonna talk about seeing Jesus on his way to the cross. Think of him there. Maybe you don't even take communion until you listen to the whole song, but don't just go through the motions, okay? Secondly, if you don't know someone and you just, you've been nameless here in this church for a long time, let this be the last Sunday that no one knows your name. And if you have space in your week, invite people for dinner. Like, let's just get to know each other a bit more. Because we're the church. 